Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning and welcome to the second hour of Mornings with Carmen on this 9th of February 2021. Uh, Yes, we could be talking at length about uh, headlines related to uh, the impeachment uh, trial of the former president of the United States. Uh, Instead, I am going to turn to a redemptive headline today featuring a rapper known as Kodak Black. Why? Well, because we could talk about impeachment proceedings tomorrow. <clears throat> it's not going to be over today. And so let us be uh, let's be praying about what's happening uh, in our nation's capital and all uh, all that is in play there. But I didn't want you to miss this headline. And my guess is you're not you're not reading the police dot com. And so you were likely not going to come across this headline about rap artist Kodak Black. And you're saying to yourself, that name is like vaguely familiar, but it, but probably only vaguely familiar, <clears throat> because my guess is most of us not following him um, in any sort of way, nor am I necessarily recommending you follow him in any sort of particular way. I am lifting up this story because, uh, well, not because he happens to be one of the individuals who was released from prison in sort of the 11th hour commutations by then-President Donald Trump, just before he left office on January the 20th, although that might be why his name sounds familiar to you. Um, he's he's known to be a guy who has a really charitable spirit. And so I wanted to lift up what I consider a pretty redemptive headline today, and that is this. Rapper Kodak Black offers to send uh, the, the children of the murdered FBI agents in Sunrise, Florida, uh, he's offering to send them all to college. So um, you may recall a headline uh, last week that two FBI agents in Sunrise, Florida, who were seeking to uh, apprehend a suspect on child trafficking um, uh, crimes, that they were murdered. These two officers were murdered. Well, Kodak Black sat down and wrote a letter. Um, He sent that letter to the Federal Bureau of Investigation's Miami office, and in the letter he offers to pay for the college education of now three of the now three-year-old child left behind by Agent Alfin, and the now four and nine-year-old children left behind by uh, Agent Schwarzenberger, and so I have no idea if there's a redemptive motivation in the heart of Kodak Black. I don't know. I can't read his heart, but I can tell you that this is a man who is redeemed, who has been set free, and is now doing what he can to sow redemption into the lives of others. Um, so I just thought that I would lift it up and ask, how might that inspire us today? I mean, we are the people who've been set free. How might the ways in which we've been set free in Christ uh, lead us to turn toward others as agents of redemption in the world that God so loves? Just a little inspiration uh, this morning. Justin Gibney from the And Campaign joins me next. We'll be right back.
joining me now, Justin Gibney. Uh, he is an attorney, and he works with an organization called The And Campaign. I love to talk with him. Justin, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me, as always. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, um, is going to announce today that it is embarking on um, a racial justice agenda. I think most people will recognize the ACLU for defending free speech, um, and it looks like they are shifting their emphasis or focus to really tackle systemic racism. Talk with us about what you see happening here um, and some of the things that are in uh, in their agenda. Well, I think it's a conversation that needs to be had. Uh, part of the reason that uh, I believe that people voted uh, President uh, Biden in was to talk about the racial justice conversation. I mean, um, for, for most of 2020, we were uh, kind of forced to focus in on some of the systemic injustice and just abuses of power that we see uh, aimed at and that hurt uh, African-Americans and have done so for, for years and years and years. And so I think it is important for us to to have a focus on uh, racial justice, to make sure that we are trying to correct some of the things that for hundred, hundreds of years have been in place. I mean, we just have to face the fact that when you have uh, laws that discriminate against someone based on their race, even when those laws are taken off the books, you're going to have uh, consequences uh, for that. Uh, and when you still have laws, you know, that may have uh, disparate impacts on, on different groups, those things need to be addressed. And so I do uh, appreciate the ACLU addressing some of those issues. I mean, to get into, you know, if we're going to get into the details, we can agree or disagree on everything that they do to go about this. But I certainly hope that this will be an effort that includes the black church, that that isn't something that's just coming from an ultra progressive point of view, but also coming from those who, who may have different values and, and see uh, things a little bit differently as well. All right. There are some things in here that, um, you know, are going to be very controversial, but there are some things in here that I think are kind of like interesting to get people thinking about, like uh, the the proposal to. Um, have post offices that are in rural locations um, to to begin function functioning uh, a little bit like banks where they would offer check cashing or money transfers or bill payment services. Um, that's that is very interesting, and I recognize that there's a proliferation of uh, I don't know you know for profit uh, entities that really do take advantage of people in terms of like check cashing and those kinds of things. Um, this would be an, a way a way of approaching that, and banks. I mean, uh, post offices are everywhere, so that's like a like this is a very interesting proposal. Um, and and then the proposals related to uh, protection of voting rights or increasing broadband access, um, housing policies that fight racial segregation. You know, I think that those are all things that uh, that a lot of conservatives can get behind. This is not really a conservative liberal conversation as much as it is a what does it look like um, to really begin focusing on those concerns that we keep talking about, but maybe we're not doing anything about in our local communities. That's right. I mean, you've pointed out some some really good points. I think uh, when it comes to banking, just easier banking options is huge, especially within low income communities, where, as you said, you have these for profits that are going to take, you know, 20 some percent of your check uh, that you really need. And so for to provide places where people can cast their checks and not be uh, just charged ridiculous amounts is, is, is really important. And we know voter rights is something that we need to talk about. We know that that disenfranchisement is a you know is 
a historical uh, fact in, in this country. And we need to make sure that uh, we do everything that we can to make sure that uh, people's voices are heard and they have an opportunity to vote. All right. So um, this is a slightly off topic. Um, I read yesterday that people have to have a photo ID in order to uh, get the uh, the vaccine, the coronavirus vaccine. Um, but we don't. But there but there are those who don't think there should be a photo ID in order to vote. I see a little bit of a disconnect there, Justin. Yeah, I think there, there may be. I mean, I'm, I'm not I think that we need to make sure that people uh, that there aren't obstacles in the way of people getting registered to vote. I haven't uh, so much jumped on the idea that they shouldn't have an ID. Uh, I do know of an experience, in fact, with my own grandmother who was registered to vote in Colorado for years and years and years, had no problem, moved to Georgia and and really couldn't get registered to vote because of Mm. uh, issues that she may have had with her birth certificate and things of that nature. So there are issues as far as getting registered to vote. I haven't been one to to really go along with the the not having any ID. I think I think we can we can make that happen. And and I do see where people may have issues there. But I want to be clear uh, we need to make sure that we remove, you know, in a reasonable way, we remove any obstacles to people voting. I'm not sure if that's an obstacle that uh, is is too great for most to overcome. So, see, that's good. I think that there's the openness to conversation is going to, like, help people um, uh, not hold their breath in the midst of all of these conversations. Right. And and be able to actually talk about things. And so that's going to be really important, particularly in maybe the most controversial word in all of this which is uh, a conversation about reparations. So just so that you guys know who are listening, um, uh, the, uh, the investigation about a conversation related to reparations, um, funding a commission to study proposals on reparations for African-Americans is a part of the legislation proposed by uh, Representative Sheila Jackson Lee from, uh, from Texas uh, and is a part of the systemic equality agenda of the ACLU um, uh, right now. All right. Hey, Justin and I are going to pivot topic topics when we come back. We're going to talk a little bit about some of President Biden's appointees and uh, in the area of civil rights. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right. Continue my conversation with Justin Gibney from the AND campaign. Justin, let's talk a little bit about uh, the Justice Department appointments by um, President Biden. Um, particularly maybe with a with a emphasis on civil rights. What are you what are you seeing? Who are you liking? What should we be paying attention to? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we really have to uh, restore as it as it talks about quite a bit. We really do have to restore trust in, in, in that department uh, to, to make sure that people know and understand how important it is for our attorney general and, and, and others uh, to be doing the work uh, of the people, to make sure that, that they're doing everything they can. And I think Judge Merrick Garland uh, is, is, a go- is a good choice. Um, I, don't, I don't necessarily agree or, or certainly don't agree with what, the way he was treated when it came to the Supreme Court. I think there was some bad faith in that whole thing. But glad to see him in this position. Uh, and again, with a focus on things uh, like voter rights, um, with a focus on things like, uh, uh, you know, criminal justice. Now, I will say this. Uh, there's a lot of talk about what they want to do in regards to criminal justice, policing and things of that nature. We need to understand that most of that stuff's going to be done on a, on a local level. There, there are things that they can do, but a lot of that is local and state legislation that we'll be dealing with. But Merrick Garland and some of the, uh, the ladies of color that he's been surrounded with, 
I think, I, you know, I, I think can, can do a good job. I'm not sure I agree with all the things uh, that they may be pushing when it comes to gender identity and things of that nature. But I think Mayor, Mayor Garland, certainly his uh, reputation precedes him, and he's a serious person to be in that uh, position. There are some proposals both by um, the president and by uh, Republican Senator Mitt Romney in relationship to uh, the alleviation of poverty or looking differently maybe at conversations related to that. Um, What do you see in there that you like? Well, I mean, again, the big thing here is we have to realize that there are almost 12 million children in America that are in poverty, almost 12 million. Um, and especially when you see what happened with the crisis, that just aggravated the situation uh, even more. And so one of the things I like about his American Rescue Plan, which is a, a $1.9 trillion plan, uh, is that it, it's seeking to cut um, uh, child poverty in half. Uh, and, and that's really big. And that's something that, that, that Christians really should care about. One of the, way that, one of the ways that it goes about that is to, to, to raise the, uh, the, child's, the child tax credit. Um, and that's a temporary raise. I think it should probably be permanent, uh, but it would be helpful to a lot of people, and it would have an annual benefit to a lot of, uh, of families of $3,600 for children uh, between zero and five. Uh, and so th- those things that can be helpful, even raising the benefits, and I, I think some of this has already been done through executive order, but raising the benefits when it comes to food and nutrition, these are things that we can care about. We may not all have to agree on how it should get done or the best way to get it done. But certainly government has a role to play when it comes to those issues. And child poverty is something that Christians should be very serious about. All right. And then um, we've we've touched on a little bit um, the proposal by Mitt Romney. Are you seeing things in there that you think, um, hey, we could talk about that across the aisle? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the truth of the matter is, uh, Carmen, Romney's plan is, is even more generous uh, than, than, than Biden's plan. Uh, and so it was a, a, a pleasant for surprise, surprise for me to see that. Romney goes about it a different way, where he's basically replacing the child's tax credit with a new child allowance program uh, where um, children would receive children prior to birth. Now, this is very pro-life. Children prior to birth would receive uh, uh, $1,400 uh, from zero to five would be $4,200. Again, Biden's was only 36 and then uh, from six uh, all the way to 17 would be $3,000 with a maximum family benefit of $15,000. So that is a big change. I mean, that's, that's a game-changing move. And I'm just really glad to see that Romney is, is one of the people who's not just saying no. He's offering an alternative because too often we hear no from one party or the other, but we don't hear an alternative to deal with problems that uh, we can't run away from. I just think there's so many opportunities right now for conversations um, about real reform, like massive reform. I I think that we are due for a real conversation um, about the reform of how we deliver public education in this country. And uh, I mean, I I see what's happening in really big cities across the country, and people are genuinely dissatisfied with the answers being supplied um, in terms of public education. And and I just feel like, Justin, there's an opening there. There's an opportunity there um, for people across the aisle, people of good faith, Christians in particular, to say, hey, you know, that's something that's just really important to all of us. Um, is that something we can work together on? This would seem like another one, right? Kids are precious. Um, and surely we can work together 
to find uh, to find ways to love and support kids and their families, um, not just during this particular season, but, you know, as a way of moving forward together um, as a country that really does value each and every individual. So uh, I'm, I'm I'm hopeful on on several of these fronts. Um, it is Black History Month. Uh, I'm wondering what um, maybe you could pick a book for us, a resource for us. What uh, if we were going to read one thing in addition to whatever else we're already reading, what would you challenge listeners to be reading um, in this Black History Month? Yes, I, w- I would start with uh, Dr. Esau McCauley's book, uh, Reading While Black. Uh, this is a book that won uh, the book of the year in uh, Christianity Today. Uh, very much an orthodox book by someone who, if you haven't heard of Esau McCauley, is is probably one of, you know, growing to be one of the foremost New Testament scholars uh, in America. Just does an excellent job of not running away from race, not centering race, but make, making sure that we observe our differences and how in America and beyond we have treated race. And in Christianity, we have treated race. Uh, an excellent book to read for those who have a high view of Scripture and, and a great introduction to a scholar who I think we'll be hearing a lot from, or hopefully we'll be hearing a lot from in the future. Okay, yeah, he's like genuinely like a, I don't know, can I say he's a cool dude? I mean, he's he's a New Testament <laughs> professor at Wheaton. He's also a priest in the uh, Anglican Church of North America. So for those of you who are listening— and you're familiar with the ACNA, um, when Justin says, you know, this is a guy who, uh, in, in Esau Macaulay, who loves the Word, is a student of the Word, um, he, he, takes serious, he takes Scripture seriously. Um, it, anyway, yeah, he's, um, yeah, it's a, I'm so glad that you lifted him up um, as an individual and as an author, and this book in particular. The book is Reading While Black, and um, I don't think we've had him on to talk about it so clearly we need to uh, adjust oh, yeah. our schedule to do so. Yeah. Um, all right. We have um, we have like 30 seconds left. Uh, uh, it's pizza day. Um, if you and I were having a pizza together, what kind of pizza would we be having? I can go with pepperoni. I keep it simple. Uh, yeah. Pepperoni what, or pepperoni crust. How about the How about the crust situation? It depends what style. You know, I, I would prefer maybe a Chicago thin crust, mm. uh, but I can do New York, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good to know. Making notes, making notes. All right. Blessings upon you and your people, your family. Um, thank you as always for joining us. That's Justin Gibney. You can find him at the and campaign. We'll be right back. All right. Lots of conversations, um, afoot about citizenship, uh, about Americans, about politics, So many conversations. So I thought, you know what? It'd be kind of fun to have a conversation with uh, with Josh Irby. Josh um, was a missionary from here in the United States to Sarajevo. Uh, he, I mean, he he is an author. He is um, he is a student of the Word. He holds an MDiv from Reformed Theological Seminary in Atlanta. He's been in ministry for twenty years. Um, but he spent 11 years as a missionary overseas, and he's just got this really great way of talking about, you know, who we are as citizens of the kingdom of heaven um, and people who are living really as expats uh, here in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. So that'd be fun to talk with him. So he's up next. Josh Irby. We'll be right back. This is Max Locato. Rest for the soul. Isn't that what we need? The story is told about a poor man who lived in Eastern Europe in the early 1900s. 
He scraped together enough money to buy a third-class ticket on a steamship to New York City. He subsisted for the 12-day journey on cheese and crackers. On the final day of the voyage, the man stood at the railing beside one of the ship's stewards. Why have we not seen you in the dining room? asked the steward. The traveler explained his lack of money. The steward responded with shock. Did you not know that three meals a day were included in your ticket? We set a place for you every day, but you never came. God has set you a place at his table. Avail yourself of every spiritual strength and blessing. Heaven knows we need the help, and heaven knows the help is here. This is Max Locato. All right, maybe you haven't checked out who moved in down the street from you during 2020, but uh, for some people in Atlanta, Georgia, a family uh, known as the Irbys moved in, and they came following 11 years in Sarajevo, Bosnia, Herzegovina. Uh, and Josh Irby, I don't know, can he be the patriarch of that family? He is now on our show, uh, joins us today. Josh, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, it's uh, it's great to be here. You know, the last time I was on a talk show, it was in Bosnia. So I'm just glad to be speaking in, e- in English with you this morning. <laughs> okay, so you have to answer one question then um, to uh, to people listening right now. Uh, w- what language would you have been speaking on a radio program in Bosnia? Well, that is, it's actually a way more complicated question than it seems. It would be, I would be speaking Bosnian, but also because we have three different cultures, uh, three different ethnic backgrounds, we have Croatian and Serbian. Uh, you could be speaking Croatian, Serbian, or Bosnian, depending on the person you're talking to. Okay, so can you just say good morning? Um, and I'm happy to be here to anybody who might be listening in any of those languages. Yes. Dobro jutro. Drago mi je što mogu biti s vama jutros i stvarno mi je čast. Because people do hear things in their heart language, and so for somebody listening yeah. out there, that was just super fun. Yeah, I'm, right? I'm glad to get to help make that happen. <laughs> okay, let's um, let's talk about God. Let's talk about uh, love of country, what you learned by living outside of the American context about being a Christian, and also, you know, now that you're back, about being an American. Yeah, yeah, that's the topics I love to talk about. I, mean, I grew up in a in a very large family, eight kids. Um, my father was a pastor, so needless to say, we didn't spend much time on airplanes. And I I had never really traveled overseas until after college. Uh, we grew up in a family where we um we we loved being American. We loved our our country. And so when I first got on an airplane after college to move over to uh, Croatia for two years. Um, to help work with the student organization, it was kind of mind-blowing and, and uh, eye-opening to spend every day around people that had a totally different experience than what I had growing up. And I kind of, I kind of got the bug at that point um, of seeing things through other people's eyes and experiencing new things. And it wasn't just the getting to travel and see new places. And I lived in a very beautiful place on the coast there. There was many great things like that, but it was it was the everyday going to coffee, talking to people about their life, understanding their perspectives. And so that kind of opened up to me a whole new world. Well, the world actually <laughs> opened up to me the world that there were other people living in other places, in different cultures, having different experiences than I had. 
And I think the thing about that that was most um, catching for me is how that opened up my own perspective of, of God. But. Yeah, so um, that's what I would love to get to because we often, we're just so captive to our own experience. Um, and we might navel gaze, we might look in the mirror, but we don't often uh, look into the experiences of other people and then allow that to help us see ourselves. And that's what it feels like. Um, for those of you who are listening right now and you wonder, is is Carmen uh, riffing off of something that Josh wrote? Yes, it's posted at thegospelcoalition.org, um, and it's uh, it's an American repatriate. So we're, we're talking about uh, Josh having lived overseas as a Christian, uh, coming back here to the United States of America. And uh, one of the things that you talk about in there is uh, being a square head person in a circle head culture. Can you can you help people understand what that means? Yeah, I think it's recognizing that we all live in a culture. Um, and even within America, there are different cultures as we've as we've become more evident, even more so in the last uh you know, five to 10 years is that we we all live in a culture and we're affected by that culture and the culture shapes us. And so when we go outside of our culture, for me, that was moving overseas. um, And we're in a different culture that, that is shaped in a different way. Our corners stand out. Uh, So for me, it's, it's coming from an American culture that's driven by productivity, driven by accomplishments, uh, driven by success. Uh, individualism, things like that, things we value in America that that it's hard to say those are bad things. But then to go live in in Sarajevo, Bosnia, where the value is relationship, uh, faithfulness to friends, um, community, things like that, you you begin to, for the first time, see how you're shaped by your own culture, if that makes sense. They become the mirror that shows you what shape you are. And as you interact with them, you may even begin to take on some of the characteristics of their culture, and you become reshaped yourself. Never to the degree that you fully become that culture, but you begin to become third culture in a way. Yeah, so that's because that's really good. I think that there are, um, you know, you, you've you've met them, but I definitely have listeners who immediately are going to push back, and they are going to. Um, they're going to remind both of us that we're not supposed to be conformed to this world, but we're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And let me just say to you, if you're listening right now and you uh, you decided to pitch back at us in our conversation, that verse from Romans, let's, uh, let's get the context in view um, in terms of what Paul is talking about. And let's be sure that we're also um, offering up our lives as a living sacrifice, recognizing that uh, God is really... Um, the king and citizenship in his kingdom is really what we're ultimately talking about as Christians. Um, and then when we start talking about the cultures of this world, um, we really are having a conversation that is cross-cultural. cross-cultural. And so um, take us there, Josh. That's really where, um, that's really where this conversation is headed. Um, what did your experience over time overseas uh, sort of help you see about your own identity as a Christian and the nature of citizenship. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that that pushback, Carmen, because I, the question is not about um, I, I was in an American culture and now I'm more Bosnian. Uh, that, that's that's not really the goal. Is not to then trade your unless culture you're now for, very tall and good at basketball. Well, 
That All of the Bosnians but... who I know are really <laughs> tall and good at basketball. I don't I don't know why, well, but that's that seems to be a thing. A, a little ironic aside, I, there were kind of two places I could have gone after college. I didn't. I only knew about one of them because my my friend who was recruiting me knew that I was tall and loved basketball, and so sent me to, <laughs> sent me to the Balkans. But uh, that that is that is actually a true thing. But um, I think what I'm what I'm saying is my Bosnian friends. Um, were a mirror to me to see my own cultural influence on my understanding of God and relationship with them so that then I could uh, try to be more conformed by the Bible. I think our, our, our own culture is so influential in us. They're like a pair of glasses we wear when we read the Bible. And so we, we read the Bible through those lenses. So for example, I was in a, a class, um, uh, recently, and someone asked the question, what in the world is Paul talking about when he talks about suffering? How do we get our mind around that? And, and this is a really hard thing to answer as an American Christian, because honestly, we just don't suffer that much. Our life is pretty good, and we're not persecuted uh, the way other Christians are around the world. Now, that is not a difficult question to answer in our small church in Bosnia, where uh, many people are kicked out of their homes when they come to Christ. They lose their jobs. They no longer can celebrate holidays with their family because they now celebrate different holidays because they no longer are from the faith they they came from. And so they read that verse, and it's like an easy interpretation. And they're shaped by the Bible in that way. So when I when I come over there and I, I'm like, what in the world is Paul talking about suffering? And they're like, obviously, he's talking about rejection by the world because you're following Christ. Then I can then change the way that I've been seeing that passage, and it can more shape my life. And I, I think I've become more conformed to the Scripture and less conformed to my home culture. Okay, and you say um, uh, in this in this piece that you've posted at gospelcoalition.org, um, you say that every Christian is an expatriate. Um, I want to talk about that when we come back. I'm talking with Josh Irby. He is a former missionary uh, in Sarajevo. He is now back here in the United States of America, and he's raising third culture kids. And we're going to talk about that as well. We'll be right back. All right, Josh, um, our entire conversation might now just have to pivot to Dragana, Dragana is mm-hmm. listening. Uh, former uh-huh. uh, uh, for, uh, from Yugoslavia, been here uh, in the U.S. for 55 years. Was thrilled to hear a Serbian greeting on the radio, um, and uh-huh. so I just thought you might want to give another uh, greeting to uh, Dragana. I know. See, I just love that. This is what's so fun about radio. Okay, Josh, uh, talking with Josh Irby, former missionary to Sarajevo. He is, um, among other things, the author of Cross on a Hill, a personal, historical, and biblical search for the true meaning of a controversial symbol. Josh, let's talk about um, this line from this piece that uh, I read that you authored at thegospelcoalition.org, an American repatriate. Am I saying that right? Um, you, you say are, in here, yes. every Christian is an expatriate. What do you mean? Well, I think it's what you were quoting earlier from the passage of being transformed by the renewing of our mind is that when we come to Christ, we then 
gain a culture that is bigger than our home culture, and that is God's family culture, the kingdom of God culture. And sanctification, that whole process of growing as a Christian, really is the process of leaving our home culture and being more and more transformed and captivated by our new culture in God's family. And so really, we all need to be going through an expatriation process. We all need to be looking back and saying, wow, that's really more affected by my childhood than actually by the scripture. That's, I'm more, that's more American than Jesus. And, and that's part of that uh, process of expatriation. And, and when we, we think about that, we think about practically living, like just mm-hmm. how does that practically affect how I live I mean, I am a citizen of the kingdom of God, but I am a citizen of a particular place and um, in the midst of a particular culture. When you when you say that every Christian is is an expatriate, um, what do you practically mean by that? Yeah, I, I think what I'm what I'm not saying, and this is what perhaps some people misunderstood uh, from the article. I'm not saying to that this world doesn't matter. And I'm not saying that we then just sit around and think about heaven all day, because I think we have a calling to repatriate, to be engaged in our culture, in our world, in our country, in our society. That's that's who we are. We're light in the world. Um, but very practically, it looks like um, if I'm spending two to three hours a day uh, whether it's social media or the media that's produced by my culture, being influenced by that, and five minutes a day reading the Bible, being influenced by that, I'm probably off on my balance a little bit in what is really influencing who I'm becoming. Um, I think there are some some moments of uh, whether it's going to a foreign culture or even leaving our local culture, whether like for me, it's I'm a, a white male Southern um evangelical Christian and being engaged in someone else's culture will help to shine the light on the ways that uh, I am more influenced by my uh, home culture than I am by the Bible. And then it's that hard work of, okay, God, you have exposed in me that I need to care about this issue in our society, that it's not okay for, for me to not be engaged with the people in my neighborhood who are struggling or whatever that is specifically in your life. And then that process of engaging in that as a member of God's family. I, th- I think that's kind of this, this process God takes us through as he's making us the way he, he wants us to be. That's so good. Okay. You, um, you and your family live in Atlanta now, um, mm-hmm. and you are raising five third culture mm-hmm. kids. First of all, there's probably some people for whom that is new language. What are you learning mm-hmm. From them, wow! It's 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 really great uh, as far as this exposing your own um, glasses that you're seeing the world through. Because you, you, we have in our home other <laughs> another culture. Because uh, my kids, they they went to Bosnian schools. Um, they they were influenced by their friends. They have different uh, values and cultural perspectives than I had at their age. Now they're not all the way to the. They're not like my Bosnian friends, but they're also not like my wife and I. They kind of exist in this third space between these two cultures. Um, and that just provides many opportunities for us to uh, 
be exposed to our perspective, but also to try to understand them in in their perspective. And honestly, we're we're kind of in a stage of mourning. We're maybe we're starting to come out of it, coming on to almost a year back. But um, we loved our life in Bosnia. We loved our friends. We love our friends there, and it was it's challenging to to leave something you love. And so as we mourn that transition together, it, uh, it a lot of growth opportunities. Let me just say that. So, what are you doing? Um, what are you doing in Atlanta? And um, if this were a conversation about your book, Cross on a mm-hmm. Hill, what would we be talking about? Yeah, um, in, in Atlanta, I'm I'm, I'm working helping people. Um, I'm on a team helping people go on either short term or longer term trips overseas, oh, other places. Cool. So I get to continue doing that. I, I actually interface with people in Central and Eastern Europe every day, which is a lot of fun and, and, and gives me that connection. But uh, the book, uh, Cross on a Hill, we, we take me and my friend Slavko, who is, uh, was a pastor in Bosnia, was a pastor of our church. My, my good friend, he's, he's uh, born in Mostar, uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina. I'd say Herzegovina because that's the Herzegovina part of Bosnia where he's from. And uh, we, we, we were moved by the fact that uh, people put large crosses up on hills throughout the Balkan area. And we would think, well, that's a great thing. They they are representing Jesus. But actually, they're being used as cultural identity markers over and against the other cultures there. And so that the cross, especially to to my Muslim friends, has totally lost its meaning. Uh, it has become, a, um, in some ways, a, a large uh, middle finger on the hill to another culture instead of representing the place where Jesus gave his life for us. And so we, we wrestled with that topic, and Slavko shared his story of how he was a, uh, he grew up as an atheist, communist, hater of the cross, and became a, uh, through becoming a refugee during the war, came to know Christ, and became a uh, proclaimer of the cross and a follower of Jesus. So uh, that, that's a lot of, lot of tough issues in that, but we, we had fun wrestling with that together. Okay, we might have to have you back on and um, and just mm-hmm. just spend some time talking about the book. Could we do that? Yeah, I would love to do that. Yeah, I would love to. All right. That sounds awesome. That's Josh Irby. Uh, and we just, now we have a range of topics to talk about. But we were talking today oh, yeah. about a piece posted at thegospelcoalition.org, an American repatriate. We'll be right back. All right, I got to say, there's, uh, there's some days, there's some moments when you think to yourself, you know what? That was a worthy work. I feel like this morning was a worthy work. I hope you uh, felt like your spending time with me today and and our other friends uh, here today was was worthy. Um, let's go forward from these conversations and lead lives that are worthy of the calling to which we've been called in Christ Jesus. Spend some time in the Word today. Where in the Word are you? Maybe maybe look at what God says about uh, His kingdom. Recognize Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We're going to spend all eternity uh, with him, worshiping him, glorifying him. Might as well start today. So uh, meet me in the throne room, access to which is gained by spending time at the foot of the cross and receiving the good gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And if you want to know more about him, maybe spend some time today reading the Gospel of John. Get to know Jesus Those of us who belong to him, heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit, 
uh, want nothing more than for others to come to know him as well. It is literally a life worthy of the gift of life and certainly uh, worthy of the calling of Christians today. So uh, love you. Thanks for being with me. Um, Thanks for taking me along with you. Where are we headed today? Where are we headed today as ambassadors of the king and the kingdom in the midst of the kingdoms of this world? Where are we going? All right. I'm excited to have spent this part of the day with you. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.